Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today is our second country spotlight. This, this is a series that we introduced in the beginning of the year, but we have we just haven't gotten around to doing another one since uh, we interviewed Khan about Russia. So today we are focusing on the Philippines, which we, you know, we're, we're talking about this. This is a country that we just don't really hear too much about, but they're kind of, you know, in that Pacific circle of some of the most major seafood producing countries, uh, you know, Surrounded by Japan, China, Indonesia, and Vietnam, some of these really big players uh, within the global industry. But you don't hear too much about the Philippines. So we wanted to see if we could learn a little bit about the industry and some of the issues there. And so we sat down with Josette Henio, who is a fisheries consultant down in the Philippines. And she's been doing some great work, particularly some work against IUU fishing and um, some of the issues that that involves within the industry. So it was a really cool conversation. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it and you're going to learn a lot about this little island nation. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, you can do so by visiting globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And lastly, please take a couple minutes if you enjoy the show to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. So without any further delays, please enjoy this conversation we had with Josette and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Josette Henyo, who is a fisheries consultant in the Philippines. Thanks for joining us, Josette. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. And Josette came to us as an expert in the seafood industry in the Philippines because this is another, this is our second country spotlight. If you remember, we did our first country spotlight on Russia. We had Khan from here at GSA talk about all the ins and outs of the fishing industry within Russia and kind of how that industry interacts with the global industry. And today we are doing a similar thing, but we're going to be focusing in on the Philippines, which is a country that we really don't talk about too much. We I don't know if we've even ever mentioned the Philippines on Aquademia. So it's going to be really interesting. I think I'm going to learn a lot and I'm sure Justin will too. And I'm really excited to get into it. But before we do that, Josette, can you give us a little background on yourself, kind of who you are so our audience knows kind of who they're talking to? Sure. Um, so I am from the Philippines and I live south of the capital city, Manila. And by profession, I am an aquaculturist. So my family owns a small-scale fish farm. And, um, well, initially when I was in college, I was initially an economics student. But um, I kind of gravitated toward, towards fisheries primarily because we do have this small, um, it's a small-scale fish farm that my, my family operates. What are you and, raising there? Yeah, so that's a good question. We're raising tiger prawn. Okay. Tiger shrimp. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. And also, if you're familiar with milkfish, that's the national fish of the Philippines. Very, very popular in the Philippines and not popular elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked after, um, after my master's, I think, degree in aquaculture. I tried to work uh, in aquaculture for a bit. Um, but for some reason, um, my, my, my career kind of changed. And... 
I was part, I, I became I became a part of a CSR team of a US-based crab company that does um, processing, export, and import of blue swimming crab or the crab meat that you're, you've probably eaten there. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm a consultant to Sustainable Fisheries Partnership for the United States Agency for International Development um, Fish Right Program. And through this program, um, SFP supports much of the market's work in the seafood industry. Okay, so <laughs> that's quite a journey, and I'm, I'm glad that we, um, we had you kind of give us that background because I'm excited to talk about the industry in this country. It, it's, you're, I'm looking at a map right now. The Philippines is in such a unique area for seafood because uh, if you don't know where it is, it's, it's an island chain here south of Japan, off the southeast border of China. You're surrounded by like Japan, China, Vietnam, Indonesia, all very big seafood countries. <laughs> and yeah. I'm curious. It's in the Pacific Ocean. It's in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Like, um, if you took a plane going to United States, it's just going to traverse into the Pacific Ocean. And then you're, right. you're in Hawaii. Yeah. So it, it's at a unique location. And like I said, you're surrounded by all of these big seafood producing countries. And so it's it's interesting that we don't hear too much about seafood coming from the Philippines. So can you talk about kind of what some of the main species are and how those species are kind of, are most of them domestic? Are most of them yeah. kind of exported out? Do you bring a lot of seafood in from these surrounding countries that are producing different types of fish and, and crustaceans? Kind of how, how does it all work? Give us kind of a, a broad sure. rundown on the industry itself within the country, because sure. I think it is in a really unique position here. So I'm curious. Yeah. No, actually, uh, Philippines is one of the top producing countries for seafood, for fisheries. In fact, we're probably in the top, uh, normally it's between top 9 to 12. Um, hmm. So we're actually a major producer of seafood. And um, the, the, the Philippines is about, uh, I think, 1.9 million, million people are directly engaged in fishing. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and more than half of the people in the Philippines are heavily dependent on fishing and fish farming for food and livelihood such as production, trading, manufacturing, and the, the jobs created in between those. And um, I think the top um, export species that we have, uh, number one would have to be yellowfin tuna, or tuna, sorry, tuna in general. Lots okay. of tuna species. In fact, um, Philippines has one of the m- most prized yellowfin tuna exported to Europe, the European Union. We do have, I think, if not, one of the most expensive, even most expensive at some point. Um, oh, and wow. then, even compared to like Japan? Yes, yes. Wow. For the, for the yellowfin tuna, yes. And um, second to yellowfin tuna would have to be uh, seaweeds, shrimp, um, a lot of swimming crabs as a form of crab meat, and also as live mangrove crabs. Um, hmm. And then, yeah, I think that's the majority of the, the export uh, fisheries that we have. And the rest would have to be consumed locally in communities and household. And maybe I'd like to talk about that because um, the um, nine, um, the per capita fish consumption of the Philippines is at 40 kilograms per year. That's higher than the global wow. average of 20 kilograms per year. So that's almost double. Yeah. So oh, what that's does a that? Lot. <laughs> yeah. So what's this, what does that imply? That means. We are heavily dependent on fish 
as the primary source of protein. In fact, it's the, the largest source of protein, uh, one of the largest sources of protein, and it's also cheapest source next to chicken. It's very essential. It's not an option at all. It's essential to the diet of most mm -hmm. Filipinos. So we call ourselves Filipinos. Mm -hmm. um, so for nutrition as well as for livelihood. And um, yeah, so again, those fish are consumed locally within the community, within the households. We may have several, maybe few species that are exported, but most of this would have to be consumed domestically. So what do you do? You, uh, import a lot of different species too? Or are we you kind do, of like... Yeah, we do a lot. We do also import uh, primarily on... Uh, since we do have a lot of... Uh, if you're familiar with the canned sardines, sometimes uh, the, 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 the consumption of canned sardines in the Philippines is really huge that the local production cannot suffice for the demand. So sometimes they have to, ex to import it somewhere. And mm -hmm. we're also importing, I think, naturally the, the, the fish meal... Uh, for for yeah. you know for feeds for aquaculture for feeds, feed, so yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's normal. That's pretty usual. And what else? Yeah, but I think we're mostly also export exporter of seafood products. So, what do you think? If you had to guess, what do you, or maybe you just know this? What um what would you say the ratio is between farmed seafood and wild caught seafood? I mean, it seems like it's pretty skewed pretty heavily on the wild side, but is there a lot of farming being done as well? Is it mostly shrimp farming? And like you said, the milkfish? Yeah. No, uh, initially, maybe if you, if you, um, maybe if you, it, three decades ago would have to be, there's a lot of um, wild-caught seafood. But of course, it's changing now because of overfishing, IUU mm -hmm. fishing. Definitely the stocks have, had gone down and um, communities are, experiencing overfishing. So um, aquaculture really contributes um, majority of the fish production in the Philippines. And um, aquaculture products are mainly composed of the milkfish, um, tilapia, shrimp, mm -hmm. and seaweeds. And the yeah. milkfish is primarily, I'm guessing that's primarily eaten locally, right? Yes, yes. But some of it are also exported um, normally in areas where there's a lot of overseas Filipino workers. So oh, actually, okay. there's also a lot of export to the United States, primarily because there's a lot of Filipinos there. So it's really, hmm. um, it's a cultural food. So since, since, uh, since childhood, it's really been introduced. It's a national fish. that We call it a national fish of yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. So why do you think we don't hear as much about the fish coming out of the Philippines and, and the industry as we do with, say, Vietnam, China, Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia? I mean, Indonesia is, at least in our position, Justin and I, <laughs> and, and, and he's here at GSA, we hear more about kind of what's going on in Indonesia than we ever do about what's going on in the Philippines. Yeah. Why do you think that is? No, actually, Indonesia, is, their production on seafood is like three to four times higher than the Philippines. And so we're we're kind of you know we're we're kind of um, uh, on the they're on the surface we are on the on the bottom when you, you talk about like Asian seafood, but mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about tuna, I think uh, Philippines is also one of the top um, exporter of tuna and really really valued, very priced um, product. So yeah, I think that's it. Um, it used to be uh, we 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 initially exported much more before, but it's lesser now, maybe because the, the economy is trying to shift more on manufacturing and services. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, we're an archipelago country. We're surrounded by water. And um, 
tourism, fisheries is really a big part of the economy of the Philippines. But yeah, I, I guess because we're a smaller country um, and also because we are surrounded by countries that produces more fish than we do. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Justin, do you have anything? I don't want to just kind of keep driving forward. I, I want to give you a chance. No, you're doing a good job. And and I don't want to turn this into a species spotlight, but I, I don't know when we'll get another chance to talk a little bit more about the milkfish. And I am aware of the species, only that I've heard the term milkfish before. But other than that, I, I can't... I just want to understand a little bit more of how big does the fish grow? What do you like? Can you tell us a little bit more about the milkfish? It's a cool looking fish. Yeah, uh, it's a silver fish. Um, again, it's not consumed uh, as much elsewhere. It's um, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's reared for it's it's farmed actually. Um, it used to be um, there's a lot. Um, well, we had a technology. The Philippines developed a technology to farm it and. I would say that maybe uh, of all the fish that we've consumed, maybe half of it is milkfish. Um, yeah. And it's a very bony fish, in fact. It's a very bony fish. You, w- you oh, wouldn't want to eat it as it is. So it is being turned into a lot of other products like a boneless milkfish, like a belly part. So, yeah, th- I think that's the, the, the unique thing about milkfish. And because there's so much demand about mil- uh, on milkfish uh, and there's not enough... Um, fry or the seeds or uh, i mean the larvae we we, we there isn't out uh, the philippines need to import it from indonesia so there are actually milkfish hatcheries in indonesia and just to cater to the demand of the philippines so the, that's, how, that's how you look, yeah that's interesting why why would you not be able to open up hatcheries in the philippines using like broodstock from your farms yeah I'm just curious. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe a lack of support as well and maybe just too much demand as well. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, so is milkfish a really demand. big product in, in uh, Indonesia as well? No, For consumers no, in Indonesia? No, they, they, they only That's opened so fascinating. this. Yeah, they, they, they only opened this hatcheries mostly to cater to the demand for the fry, the larvae huh. uh, to mm-hmm. the Philippines. And, wow, you, know, they, they've become, uh, you know, there's a certain area in Indonesia, they've become so efficient in building those hatcheries and they have perfected the technology that sometimes we think that they, they're doing it better than we do. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Well if it's not broke, don't fix it, I guess, yeah. right? If they've if they've if you have a process that works, then <laughs> stay with it. And Sean just sent me a picture of a milkfish and it is quite large. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't realize that yeah, they would yeah. be that large. Yeah, it it can grow big, actually. It can grow big. Like the brood stock is really huge. Like um, yeah. meters long. Yeah, how but big do you usually grow out for, for uh, consumption? Maybe a bit 50 centimeter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That fish you sent me, Sean, was much larger than that. That's a big <laughs> fish, yeah. I, I, yeah. I kind of found the most like ridiculous over-the-top picture I could find. <laughs> Throw me off. <laughs> it's a cool-looking fish, though. It's, 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 it uh, is a really cool-looking fish. Yep. Yeah. And maybe I'd like to also add that the, 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 the fishing industry in the Philippines, 90% of the fisher folks that we have are actually small scale and subsistence in nature they fish they farm um just to eat to earn um Mm -hmm. so it's not as much of the big commercial vessels that are going out Um, again 90 percent are small scale in nature yeah um subsistence even so there's really um maybe the the um most of the of the efforts that we do is really to focus on um uh, improving their socioeconomic uh, condition, human well-being, because um, you know, even though 
even though uh, most of them have been producing or been catching fish, um, they're also there's also a lot of overfishing issues, declining mm-hmm. of stocks. You know, the the fish getting smaller by the day. So, um, and the most vulnerable and affect um, affected by that is really this um, small scale fisher folks. Um, apart from they're the most vulnerable because they are on the the coastal side. You know, uh, uh, frequently we are frequently um, we do have frequent typhoons. Uh, so they're mm-hmm. also interestingly they also maybe this is interesting to you, but they're also one of the poorest sectors in the Philippines, next to oh, coconut farmers, I guess. Well, a Very lot of it, like you said, is is not necessarily catching for distribution, right? It's catching just yes. just I gotta eat, so I gotta go get my food. <laughs> Yeah, um, which like is funny they, because that's sell, you know if they sell they just sell because they need to earn certain you know amount for the day, right? But normally that amount wouldn't you know it's just to to, to eat to send their kids to school up uh, to to probably buy some of their needs. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's funny because it's like so different. This, this like I said, this is only the second country spotlight that we've done. The first one being Russia, and it's the polar opposite up in Russia. I mean they. They are going out in these massive vessels and they're pulling in, they're hauling in nets that are like, it looks like they're pulling a whale onto their deck because this net is so huge and it's so packed with fish. And it's just like the polar opposite of, of what we what we see here. And that's, it's just fascinating how it, how it all kind of plays in together. Justin, did you have something? Yeah. And this is just an assumption, but Josette, correct me if I'm wrong, but do most of these fishermen, is that um, stay within the family? So their kids, as they get older, I'm sure they're probably experiencing this whole, the fishing techniques and, yeah. and learning from their parents or their father or whoever. And uh, it just kind of continues the tradition. The generational tradition. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a catch. It's when they stay in that cycle, the poverty also is you know, carrying over to the next generation. So it's actually yeah. There's no a, progress. A there's no forward progress. Poverty. So that's sometimes they refer to fishing as a poor man's job. Um, mm-hmm. And when you have nothing to like, if you're um, like d- during the pandemic, a lot of people were laid off, and then mm-hmm. they go back to the provinces. I mean, from the from the urban areas, they go back to the provinces, the the least populated areas, and then um, they're they're they will start fishing. So during mm-hmm. the pandemic, there were reports of illegal fishing, like heightened illegal fishing, because there are no means for these people to earn other than fishing. Yeah. And that's a fantastic segue because I, I did want to move into the IUU stuff. But Justin, finish your thought before we start getting into that. No, I guess my, la- my last thought was just, you know, it's interesting. It, well, it's, well, really, it's, it's interesting, but it, just to hear of the challenges, right? So the lack of uh, financial support within that industry, but yet you're putting your heart and soul into your equipment and you're going out with the chance of your equipment getting wrecked in these typhoons and, and, and things like that. It can just It's it's really challenging and, and hard work. And, I, and I'm trying to visualize it in my head. And I, and, you know, I wish there was, uh, which is why we're going to segue into this new piece. Right. But I think <laughs> like if that, if, if you have, if you have a boat and you can get out there, even if you're doing it illegally, anything you can do to bring in money yeah. is, is what people are trying to do in the pandemic. I'm sure hopefully we'll get into this probably changed and focused people into doing things illegally so yeah. anyways i won't i won't steal your thunder it's interesting that it's such a massive part of the economy right seafood is like you're so reliant on seafood for yeah. everyday diets for the, for the the citizens yeah. but is the filipino government doing it, like how how is the government involved in 
the industry because with it being such a big part of of the national economy like do yeah. they get their fingers in there and and set a lot of regulation or are they yeah. kind of turning a blind eye to some of the illegal stuff that's going on like how is the government in, inserting themselves within the industry here um yeah um of course we have actually excellent policies and regulations in paper but i think what's lacking yeah. is the enforcement Right. Um, really yeah. enforcing these laws because, um, for one, um, the the agency that is tasked to, to you know to to do this, um, the policing, the fisheries management, is just a bureau. It's part of a bigger department, which which is Department of Agriculture, and we've mm-hmm. been actually we've long been lobbying for them to to actually um, make the bureau a department of fisheries primarily yeah, because like break it we off are, into yeah we are an archipelagic country and because most of the the lack of enforcement stems from the the lack of manpower um um like you have to deputize a lot of people uh, they have to deputize mm-hmm. people because um the manpower the human resources that is present in the bureau is just not sufficient enough to be able to really um, go after the offenders or go after hmm. all these measures that you need to implement. So um, I think um, there, there is uh, the, the lack of manpower really plays a big role because uh, for, um, honestly, we do have excellent policies and laws in place in paper, but that is not translated well on the ground. That is not enforced. And because people and because the, the, the authorities have also lack of lack of people to, to implement it. I think that's pretty common. I think you see you're going to see that a lot when, when we focus on there's a question that we asked in the last country spotlight, too. And I think we're going to try and kind of try and bring this up every time we do this, because I think we're going to see a lot more of that in a lot of other countries that like they've established some really, really good regulations. Yeah. And it looks great on paper, but if you, <laughs> I mean, if you're turning blind eyes or you don't, or you, there's a lack of resources to actually support those regulations, then, then you start to run into problems. So I want to talk about your involvement in kind of this battle against IUU fishing down there. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, IUU fishing is illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. And it's a big problem all around the world. But can you kind of get into kind of what your efforts are, what the main issues are that you guys are going after, and, and what the response is towards it? Yeah, sure. So... I think um, a report by the United States Agency for International Development two years ago um, was able to estimate the, the loss, uh, the economic loss uh, of IUU fishing in the Philippines. And it's around 1.6, maybe 1.5 to 1.6 billion dollars oh, annually. Wow. That's how bad the IUU fishing is well in the Philippines. And um, initially, it's hard to address IUU fishing because there's no quantification. We cannot quantify the problem. So I think mm-hmm. the first step to addressing IU fishing is to quantify the problem, the magnitude, the scale, uh, who are responsible for IU fishing. You have to identify the, the hotspots, the vulnerable areas, the vulnerable communities, or those uh, where in the Philippines is IU fishing uh, uh, frequently happening. So uh, I think we have to do um, a lot of this has to do with baseline information. And I think in 2000, between 2019 20, or maybe 2021, sorry for that, um, we, the USAID fish right was able to quantify um, the, the, the damage or the economic loss or the magnitude even of IU fishing in the Philippines. And yeah, that's why we get the uh, 1.6 billion US dollars annually is being lost to IU fishing. Wow. And uh, interestingly as well, IU fishing can um, 
uh, can happen in the this uh, like in the municipal waters. Municipal is within the 15 kilometer coastline of the Philippines, which is the the waters where most of the subsistence fisher are fishing. And mm-hmm. beyond that is the commercial fishing. So we call it municipal and commercial. Uh, IUU fishing happens on both waters, not just the commercial or not just in the municipal. And in some areas, just by cleaning your backyard, you know, the municipal waters, uh, you can reduce incidence of IUU fishing by like 40%. And um, IUU fishing um, and overfishing for that matter, uh, for me, there's, I wanted to borrow um, like a learning from, from one of the, the, the people I've met, like one of the experts in overfishing. They say that IUU fishing in the Philippines is driven by two things. It's the need and the greed so need because most of this um, small holder fishers, you know, it's unintentional in many ways because um, they, they need to earn. They need to fish to earn. So yeah, yeah. most of this... They feel trapped. Yes, they feel trapped yeah. in, that, in that cycle of poverty. And they're very indebted in a lot of their traders and a lot of their buyers. Mm. So, you know, uh, they're forced to actually... Use dynamite fish, cyanide fish, like the 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 the, the very um, the fine mesh nets. Uh, most of them are aware of the existing loss, but they they tend to you know to circumvent primarily because risk they, reward, they, right? Yeah. Yes, like willing to take that risk because you got to survive, right? So I yes. was, that was another question of mine: is is do you think some of this is happening, not necessarily unintentionally, or they just didn't they they may not even realize that they're doing it right they just they just got to catch fish because they just yeah. got to survive that's that's interesting and sometimes uh, also the the lack of maybe access to information as well like um what is the sustainable size of a fish what what is considered juvenile or mature fish sometimes you mm-hmm. have to 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 you know to do that to to, to even raise awareness at, at the very least you have to raise awareness in those communities and um, of course, you have to address first their socioeconomic needs, uh, because um, you know during pandemic a lot of people really suffered economically, financially, and that's why there has been report of heightened um, incidence of IUU fishing, even in the mm-hmm. municipal waters, primarily because people are desperate. And you know, yeah. the other the other factor that I I, I mentioned earlier is also greed. Uh, while there is while uh, most of the 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 number of fisher fox in the Philippines belong to the small scale or subsistence sector. Uh, we also have a huge, uh, not maybe not so huge, but our, uh, of course, industrial fishing vessels. Um, and um, a lot of it actually has like tuna, like skipjack tuna, you know, they, they fish for all the, the, the tuna that you put in the can, right? So um, there's that as well, like the, 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 the greed aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. But we've and always- And that's where a lot um, of the overfishing issues come into play yes, with, with it. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the, 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 the government has also mandated commercial fishing vessels to use um, vessel monitoring systems, but that has not been um, moving, well, not moving significantly primarily because uh, it's, you know, compliance is really hard, right? With, with the lack of resources and mm-hmm. easy to, to cir- cir- circumvent because maybe the penalties are not yet there. It's, it's, it's. It's a new, it's a new technology. I mean, it's a new mandate, like the vessel monitoring system. Uh, but yeah. um, maybe also worth um, mentioning is that most of the interventions that we do under the USAID Fish Right Program is really empowering, raising awareness, empowering communities 
to be proactively part of addressing IUU fishing. Um, sometimes they just don't know how. Sometimes you just need a, a little bit of push. Um, you develop champions within the community so that they also put pressure into the different members of the community to start addressing those issues on IEU fishing. And, um, and I would say also, because I'm working on the supply chain side, I'm not working on like the fisheries, the resource, or the resource aspect mm -hmm. of fisheries management. I'm working on the supply chain side. And there is, a, there is really a need to, to also introduce supply chain controls because the tra traditional fisheries management approach in the Philippines is heavily focused on um, supply or resource restriction, inputs and outputs control in fishing, but less is being uh, paid attention to supply chains, like how can the markets um, contribute or, you know, address the, the, the address IU fishing in their own ways or in their own backyards, in their own supply chain. And I, I would say that... Um, majority of the seafood that passes through the supply chain is that that IUU caught products that passes through the supply chain is also unintentional because um, mm, okay. the buyers the traders you know don't know how to really like spot check how if the if that certain fish is coming from IU fishing or they don't know about yeah. traceability so that's what we're doing uh, at least on my end I'm working on the markets component and trying to enable markets and buyers to be more responsible, more due diligence, and engage closely with their suppliers and supply chain. But the rest of my team is actually working on the supply side, like trying to build, um, mobilize supply for responsibly sourced seafood and get the recognition that this communities deserve. Because a lot of communities are also proactive, um, uh, pro proactive, advocates of like seafood sustainability so we want the markets to recognize that as well right i'm glad you brought that up because that was my my next thought was what happens to that product like coming out of those iu fishing like how does it actually make its way into circulation within the market and it sounds to me like the biggest steps in your from your perspective from the supply chain side is surrounding traceability supply chain transparency you touched on it a little bit like but what actions can be taken to actually start implementing some traceability within these supply chains yeah first um we and uh we encourage buyers and markets to to engage more closely with their suppliers with the supply chain knowing really their supply chain because you know the, the, the seafood supply chain is so long, so complex, and so fragmented that there is a need for markets to start engaging their suppliers, the supply chain, and start from actually improving their documentation of the, the products. And mm -hmm. we also, um, one of our strategies as well is as much as possible, we try to connect our partner buyers to, to, with, to the communities that we partner with so that we, we, we try to cut the unnecessary layers in the chain. And so they're more um, close to each other. That means that when you have you know, a, a shorter supply chain, you'll be able to actually maintain the flow of information through that chain. It doesn't necessarily mean that we cut the traders or the consolidators or the aggregators because actually we see also their very critical role in the chain but because the philippines is so it's it's composed of a lot of islands so mm -hmm. the, the seafood product really it you know it passes through many hands like um maybe the least would be five at the least 
and it could be as many as 10 layers mm. in the supply chain. So we're trying to cut down a bit, but we also recognize the role of traders, consolidators, or aggregators, like the smaller ones, because they have so much influence in right. um, changing the practices of their suppliers, such as your, your fisher folks, because they know their suppliers. And I think most of the time that the role of the consolidators or the aggregators are often, often overlooked uh, when in this fisheries management, when you try to implement fisheries management measures, because they see them as more of a threat that's really profit driven. But we, mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, think a little bit differently because from our experience, they really have the most influence in terms of changing the behavior, even the beliefs of the fisher folks. So for us, when we're trying to, um, so our approach really to addressing IUU fishing, uh, to, to encouraging more responsible supply chain is a whole of supply chain approach. So mm -hmm. we talk with the end buyers, we talk with the mid-chain buyers, the processors, the distributors. We also talk with the community consolidators or aggregators, and we work with the producers. Yeah, you need to find a way to make it beneficial for everyone to be doing the right thing, right? Like, how can we make it more enticing for you to be following these yes. these guidelines that have been put in? And that's that's a, that's a challenge for sure. If you are able to kind of implement more traceability and supply chain transparency within the whole industry down there, do you think you, like, what would happen with the product that is coming from IUU Fisheries? Would, would there be wasted product in that? Like, is there any kind of retroactive yeah. work in important. plans for something like yeah. that? I think it's important to disincentivize IU fishing. So you right. start with the economic actors that has the capacity to do that, disincentivizing, or in this case, incentivizing responsibly sourced products. So when you're opening, when you're opening up a space or a market for responsibly sourced seafood or sustainable seafood, you're also, mm -hmm. you know, you're also constricting the space. You're choking for it IU. out, right? Yeah, you're shrinking. Yeah. The, the, the space for IEU caught products. Of course, it's, it's, it's a long way to go, definitely. But mm. we wanted to raise that awareness on the markets, on the buyer side with the consumers that it's important that they know where their fish are coming from, that it's important to, to actually ask their, their favorite um, retailer or maybe favorite restaurant what's where the fish is coming from. So we wanted always to come up with a storied product. We're in. Yeah. People will have access to the information of their product. And at the same time, uh, on the supply side, fisher folk producers, processors, like community-based processors of fish processors will also have some information on the market. Because it's important yeah. for them to build, develop, and mobilize responsibly sourced seafood supply that meets the market requirements as well. Because... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing that you capacitate them on responsible sourcing. You teach them about seafood sustainability. It's another thing to actually build their skills and capacity to come up with a product that is based on, based on actual industry needs. So as you can see, we're really working both in the market and supply side mm -hmm. of the chain. Actually, the whole of chain, actually. Yeah, and when you get those questions starting at consumers on the restaurant level and the purchasing level, those questions go back in the supply chain, which can yeah. then drive the information forward again in the supply chain and, and creating those programs and those requirements where the buyers are actually starting to say, we're only going to buy products that have been proven to be 
responsibly sourced or sustainably sourced, whatever it is. And you're walking a fine line for the producers between finding the incentives that that make it beneficial for them to follow these regulations. And also, but also it's the it's adapt or die. Right. Because if all of a sudden no one's buying your your product because you can't prove where it came from and that you did it the right way, then you're not going to be able to sell. So it's it's that that's interesting how you guys are kind of like straddling that line a little bit. I think that's 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 pretty cool. But you know what? Because you were talking about like um, adapt or die, uh, because it's still not the case in the Philippines. Because the sustainable seafood movement in the Philippines is still a very young movement. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the the efforts, the first maybe the first efforts were dated back as early as 2015 through a sustainable seafood. Oh movement. wow! Yeah. But it really didn't advance as much, uh, probably because there's maybe no. Uh, NGO really pushing for you know local market development versus responsibly sourced seafood. It's important. I wanted to revert back to what you said about incentives. That is very important to the suppliers, to the producers, that they see mm-hmm. the value of being part of that chain. That they don't do it because they just want to earn. They do. They do it because they know they're part of an important chain which is a food production mm-hmm. sector, which a food... Yeah, it's a bigger you know, picture mentality. Yeah, it's a bigger picture. Uh, and and in the other, on the other hand, the markets, it's important that, you know, buyers also get something from engaging in, you know, responsible seafood sourcing. That's what we call our program. So what do mm-hmm. I get from that? So the, right now, since the sustainable seafood movement is very young, still relatively young in the Philippines, we call them the first movers, the industry leaders, because they're the brave ones who really, you know, um, went out of their way to really try to engage more closely with their supply chain and try to, you know, try to implement traceability initiatives, sustainability in whatever way they can. Even I, I, I always tell them, even if it's incremental, like gradual, if if it's in the right direction, uh, you'll get there. You know, you'll get there, and you'll yep. be known as a responsible business. And I think they get something from knowing that their consumer thinks they're a responsible business. So I think that's also the incentive on the part of the market and the buyers. Yeah, the clout goes a long way, for sure. So with that, you're just teeing me up with all these great transitions. With that, (laughs) what do you see for the future? You know, what is the direction that the industry in the Philippines is is going and how are we how are they going to we I'm, I'm saying we like we're down there like helping out <laughs> how, how um is the industry going to kind of evolve yeah. to help fight some of the the issues because you know it's so hard when you're when you're in this situation where you have this kind of stagnant rate of poverty and you're trying to make changes but it's also so, something that has been so ingrained within the culture that like like Justin said if it ain't broke don't fix it like you know, you're kind of fighting a couple of different battles. So what do you see coming in the future to help the evolution of the industry down there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, um, we started this um, market engagement work that we did, uh, that we're doing right now under the USAID Fish Right program. But the program is also ending next year. So it's important for us to continue those efforts, um, to continue those efforts that we've started, the industry partnerships, the supply chain, the, the development of local supply chains for responsibly sourced seafood, because that in itself actually addresses IUU fishing uh, because mm-hmm. of a lot of um, standards that we're following, making sure that, you know, the communities, practices, registration, licensing, all those stuff uh, observes um, catching just the mature ones, mature fish. So 
right now actually uh, we are currently in the in a transition to to continue those efforts and make sure that they, that those are sustained in the long run so we are transitioning into this program called um better seafood philippines and sorry what is it say it again better seafood philippines better seafood. yeah so bsp I had, a, so, I had an internet blip i couldn't <laughs> yeah so yeah so the the bsp um uh, sfp uh, supports the creation of this program so i'm i'm very thankful to sfp for being really um an excellent uh, advisor to the work that we're doing so we see that the better seafood philippines would actually be the umbrella program that will manage and implement responsible seafood sourcing tools and activities um and most notably on the market and supply development and industry partnerships and uh the better seafood philippines is is unique in a way because there's no single NGO now pushing for local market development for responsibly sourced seafood and we wanted to promote really more transparent and responsible sourcing practices across Philippine seafood supply chains and of course to influence eventually consumers choices to make uh, seafood production trading and consumption more responsible and i think continu- continuity is very important because uh, as i mentioned earlier I mean, the, the efforts on sustainable seafood movement dated back as early as 2015. But um, the, the, the thing is, it did, didn't really make a lot of progress. Um, so we, we're, we wanted to take that opportunity, that space to continuously do what we're doing right now and engage more industry, engage more businesses, engage more community. We want to mobilize responsible seafood supply we wanted to build alliances from the grassroots so that we can start recognizing the communities that have strong commitment to seafood sustainability and there's it's very critical the supply side um addressing the supply side is also very critical part of advancing sustainable seafood movement in the philippines because there is an appetite now uh we're gaining traction but it's always a question of is the supply ready? Because right. yeah. it's not just a matter of, okay, just get me fish from the site. You have to prepare mm-hmm. the communities. You have to mobilize the supply. You have to ensure that quality is met and that the product they produce actually could meet the needs of the industry. Mm-hmm. There's you, you, you also need to address supply reliability and, of course, um, adherence to environmental sustainability. And a lot of it would have to be intricately linked with also addressing socioeconomic needs of the communities oh that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna say that's a, that's a so lot. my next my next question was does it feel like it's making progress but you kind of just you kind of just explain that so uh, we're getting close to time this has been an amazing conversation justin do you have anything before i kind of ask my last couple questions no typically my my end of episode comments just are like the general summary right and so i guess i'll do a little bit of that. What I'm what I'm hearing is this whole movement is relatively new. It has been yeah. less than a decade, right? So it all comes down to education yeah. and having yeah, people realize what we run into time and time again. And it doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. There it takes a lot of players to get this moving in the in the right direction. And you are doing amazing work. And I guess what, how, well, I, I don't know what you wanted to say, Sean, but I do, I do want to make sure before the episode ends that we 
ask you, Jose, if there's anyone that any one of our listeners that w- want to help or have questions for you, what is the best way we can kind of point them into your direction? How can they contact you? Yeah, that's Justin, good... that was exactly where I was going to go with that. How can we help? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we do, we're building this uh, website, which we kind of low key uh, introduced already to our industry partners and to the NGO stakeholders. So it's called uh, Better Better Seafood PH because Philippines dot org. So okay. yeah, to just to get to know more about the work that we're doing in the Philippines and how we intend to continue those. And of course, uh, I just want a shout out to SFP for really, really being um, instrumental to to all the work that we're doing under the USAID Fish Right Program. And I mean, I've widened my perspective about the seafood industry because of them. We've We've never realized how important the markets and supply chain work if it's not for them. So I guess um, in the, the almost three years that, that I'm consulting, that I'm doing consultancy work with SFP, it really, I, I realize how important the markets work are. Fantastic. Well, Josette, thank you so much for kind of enlightening us on on everything going on down in the Philippines. We really appreciate it. I know we, most of our conversation kind of centered around this IUU fisheries yeah. thing, but that's kind of the world you're living in. And that's kind of probably mm-hmm. one of the main f- issues within the industry down there, it, it seems. So I'm really glad that you were able to come and join us. Is there anything else that you want to kind of get out there while you have the platform here? Yeah, I think maybe just a closing thought, maybe the next time that, you know, people eat their fish, just think about the impacts that your choices have on people, on the communities, and I say demand for more transparent and equitable seafood trade. And keep mm-hmm. supporting local fisher folks. They definitely need it, especially on our part on the part of our I mean on my on this side of the world. Uh, it's very important for us. Um, seafood is a lifeline for most communities mm-hmm. for emerging markets for developing countries like the philippines awesome well justin if you don't have anything else i guess that's uh i'm good all right thank you so much jose we really appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon thank you too my pleasure Folks, that was our conversation with Josette Hedio. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and we really appreciate her coming on the show, you know, kind of late at night to, to talk to us from the Philippines. If you enjoyed the show and you want to hear more, please make sure you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it becomes available. And follow us on Twitter, at Pod. If you want to contact us for any reason, do you want to be a guest? Do you have a topic suggestion? Do you want to sponsor an episode? You can do so by filling out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. We really appreciate everybody that has already done that. And uh, it just helps us out a lot. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.